throughout my years as a walk-on, you know, you learn about being a great teammate. You know, being a part of a team is being a part of something bigger than yourself. And, you know, I knew I wasn't going to play against Kentucky in Rupp Arena when LSU went up there to play, but I also knew that my contribution on the team that week preparing to play Kentucky was just as important as me playing on the, on the court that night. And so a lot of what we'll talk about as far as our core values and our guiding principles and how we live in our walk-ons world stems from my days as a walk-on and, and knowing that it, it didn't matter if I was the star player, I knew I was making a contribution to that team. And that's how we, you know, whether you're the general manager uh, or you're a, a new teammate that just joined our team and maybe you're just washing dishes for the night, you're part of the team. You're, you're, making, you're making the ship sail. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. You know, I get to interview some pretty interesting guests and talk about some pretty interesting concepts. Well, this one is no exception. I'm speaking today with Mr. Brandon Landry, and he's the co-founder and CEO of Walk-On's Sports Bistro. Now, this is a Louisiana concept known for made-from-scratch food and drink daily. But what's really interesting in why is it called Walk-On's? Well, a Walk-On, of course, is a team member of a sports team that isn't a starter. And Mr. Brandon Landry was a walk-on for the Louisiana State University basketball team. And while he and a friend, a partner in this business, were sitting on the bench one day, they had the brainchild of starting a restaurant, a sports bar, of course, or a sports bistro in this case, and they called it walk-ons. Well, this concept is having explosive growth, and they've got 52 locations now with over 150 in development, and it's growing fast. We're going to talk all about the labor crisis and rising costs and supply chain issues. We're going to talk about company culture and how to train and motivate really good people and deliver amazing dining experiences to your customers, your guests, of course. So you're not going to want to miss this episode. Stay tuned. You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Rockstars, let me tell you about Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed for restaurateurs by restaurateurs. Effective labor management is more important than ever to maximize profit and success, especially now as restaurants begin to reopen and expand their teams. Trusted by over half a million restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the tools you need to simplify scheduling, easily manage time and attendance, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll systems you already use and trust, turning your team into a competitive advantage to your business. Right now, Restaurant Rockstar's listeners can get three months absolutely free. Get started now at sevenshifts.com forward slash restaurant rockstars. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com forward slash restaurant rockstars to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Now on with the episode. Thanks everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast and we are all about reigniting your passion for the hospitality business. The pandemic has hit us sideways and now it's all about rediscovering what got you into this business in the first place. I am super excited today. I'm speaking with Mr. Brandon Landry and he is the founder, the co-captain and the CEO of a concept, fast-growing concept called Walk-On's Sports Bistro with 52 locations and growing. Welcome to the show, Brandon. How are you? Thanks, Roger. Thanks 
for having me, man. Actually, I got to correct you. We're 56 locations. We opened number 57 this week. Thanks for that correction. We're going to talk all about that fast growth and what's fueling that growth and what your plans are for the future. But we begin, Brandon. I know you're, you know, you're a former walk-on basketball player for LSU. Um, tell us all about what you do now. What, what are you passionate about when you're not, you know, running this 56, 57 unit fast growing franchise with uh, huge growth on the horizon? What do you, what do you love to do? Yeah, well, it, this is, this is definitely keeping me busy here, but uh, so I'm, I got three little ones. I got three under the age of four. Awesome so, ages. Uh, yeah, they're, they're fun. I got, I got two little girls and a uh, little man. Uh, he's, he's 10 months old right now. And so a lot of time with that, right? I, I'm uh, I'm passionate about, of course, my family, but uh, I love golf. You know, I actually don't play. I tore my Achilles a few years back, trying to do things that I shouldn't be doing anymore, playing flag football and basketball and things like that. And so, um, the only way I can get hurt is falling out of the golf cart you know, on the golf course. And so, uh, I do that. You know, it's still that competitive nature. Right. Uh, I love uh, playing with my buddies and things like that. And then being down here in South Louisiana, uh, I grew up hunting and fishing as well. And so uh, during those times when I have a little bit of time to get out there in the woods or on the water, we try to do that. We do that with our team as well. Uh, we actually take our team on an annual fishing trip and with my buddies. And so I stay busy. But of course, first and foremost, it's the family, it's the little ones and uh, my wife as well. Well, you continue to enjoy that. You know, I, I have to say, I've got two teenage daughters now, and I really look back a lot and miss when they were like little, little kids, you know, when you could still pick them up and carry them around and, you know, do all the stuff you do when you're a new dad and you got to, well, you've got a family of three, but yeah. I look back fondly on those memories and yeah, it changes and, you know, every age is different, but I, I definitely miss when they were younger. So totally enjoy that. Let's talk about your backstory now. Um, I always ask this question because my audience is interested to learn how does somebody get from point A to point B? And a lot of people start off in this business at a young age. They discover the restaurant business. There's that teamwork, that camaraderie, the chemistry of the team, and they go on to develop a career in that business. But you were um, you know, a basketball player at Louisiana State University. You were a walk-on player. Did you work in the restaurant business prior to going to college? And then you got back into this. I, we're interested to hear your whole trajectory. Yeah, no, actually, I, I I never had. I grew up a sugarcane farmer's son here in uh, in South Louisiana, and uh, always had a passion for for basketball and, and loved playing the game. And so, going out of high school, uh, I, I really wasn't highly recruited, or uh, so I, I decided to walk on. And you guys that know anything, you know, walk on as a is a player that doesn't get awarded a scholarship. They play for the true love of the game, right? You got to pay your way. And so uh, I was fortunate enough to, after getting cut first, I actually made the team uh, a few months later when they needed some more practice players at LSU. And uh, just throughout my years as a walk-on, you know, you learn about being a great teammate. You know, being a part of a team is being a part of something bigger than yourself. And, you know, I knew I wasn't going to play against Kentucky in Rupp Arena when LSU went up there to play, but I also knew that my contribution on the team that week preparing to play Kentucky was just as important as me playing on the, on the court that night. And so 
a lot of what we'll talk about as far as our core values and our guiding principles and how we live in our walk-ons world stems from my days as a walk-on. And, and knowing that it, it didn't matter if I was the star player, I knew I was making a contribution to that team. And that's how we, you know, whether you're the general manager uh, or you're a, a new teammate that just joined our team and maybe you're just washing dishes for the night, you're part of the team and you're, you're making, you're making the ship sail. And so uh, that's how we live. But no, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I, I didn't start working in restaurants until I was in college. And honestly, until we started coming up with the idea. So I was literally my, my founding partner and I, my teammate and I were on the way back from the university of Tennessee in Knoxville. We just got beat by about 30 points. This is in 1999 and uh, all the starters were sleeping and we were wide awake. We hadn't played a second. And so we started doodling on that little Bev nap that you find on the airplanes and yeah, yeah. Uh, love it. That, uh, the creation of walk-ons. So you, neither one of you had any hospitality or restaurant experience per se, but you had this idea. You both love basketball. You both love sports and you're like sports, you know, sports bars are hot. Here's an opportunity. And you know, the whole college connection, all of that sort of came together in the concept. What was the timeline between that BevNap and the original idea to actually opening your first location? Yeah. So we came back to LSU and we were in an entrepreneurship class in the school of business. Excellent. And, I love it. And uh, yeah, so we went and it was a business plan project that we had to put together and mm -hmm. said, Hey, let's do it on walk-ons, right? This is an idea. We got 19, 20 years old at the time. It's like, yeah, it's just an idea. We can do it. So we go back and we uh, present the, the business plan in class and we got a C. We got a C on the project. Uh, wasn't necessarily the idea. We just needed some help with the business plan. And so the professor said, look, if you guys are serious, uh, hit me up, you know, I'll, um, I'll help you guys. And so we did. And awesome. uh, we, we went to him and said, look, this is something we're serious about. We, we want to do this. We see there's a need. Of course, we didn't think it would be a growing chain like it is today. But we, we said, can we open up a restaurant, maybe make a living? Right. Um, and so we 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 kind of perfected our business plan and uh, we started getting some investors involved and then we started going to banks and pitching our idea and the first bank we sat down with and said man we got this we got a great business plan and uh, this is in 2000 2001 not long after 911 and so if you guys remember they, they were trying to get the economy stimulated again so it was basically like if you had a pulse and you could sign your name they were giving you a loan not us. Excellent. Uh, Not you know, we went, yeah. we went to bank one, two, three, four, five, six. And they all said, no, 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 no. And then uh, that walk on mentality, it kicked in. Never, never take no, let's keep trying. So we went to number seven and number seven looked at us. It was an SBA banker. And uh, he said, guys, if you're willing to bust your tail, I'll back you. And uh, so that was uh, in 2002. And we got the original location open in 2003, September 9th of 2003. Uh, was was the original right here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, looking on Tiger Stadium. Fantastic story. You know, very similar to my own. 26 years ago, I started my first restaurant with no restaurant experience. I had a dream. I had an idea much like yours. And my business plan asked for a million dollars because I wanted to buy land, build a building in a great location and turn it into something really cool. And I went to 10, 15, 20 banks. And of course, the first question is how many restaurants or bars you ever owned or managed before? 
well, just read. I've never been in the restaurant business, but read the business plan. It's a great idea. And they all said, yeah, "Yeah, see you later until I finally found a banker much like yourself that uh, literally was very familiar with this location, knew that I had an MBA, I had business skills, never ran a restaurant before, but he said, you know what? I'm not going to give you a million bucks, but if you scale this project way back, I might give you $150,000. So that's that was my very humble start because you can't buy land and build a building and start a restaurant with 150,000 bucks. But <laughs> nonetheless, I, I proved what I said I could do. And then two years later, I got my million dollar loan and that led to three other restaurants. So anyway, everyone's got a cool story and yours is certainly cool. That's exactly right. Well, look, we we are, our purpose is to bring people together. Our vision is to inspire a lifestyle that celebrates the underdog mindset in all of us. Yes. And, and we all have an underdog story, right? No matter where 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 you come from, and at some point you, you have an underdog story, and so that's yours, and we have ours as well. And everybody, you know, this is the only business, or one of the only businesses I know, where you need absolutely no formal education to rise to the very top of the industry. Whether you become a chef, whether you become a restaurant owner, whether you own a franchise company that just expands rapidly like yours, you can do it with no formal education. You know, I've got multiple stories of people that worked for me that started off as 15-year-old dishwashers. One went on to own his own restaurant. And it's like, yeah, the dream is still alive in the hospitality business. So let's talk about now you've not only got, uh, I believe, the 56 restaurants currently, but I understand that there's over 100, 150 or so that are currently in development. So you're working with uh you know, franchisee, potential franchisees that are going to open up new stores probably in the next year or so? Uh, yeah. So we have franchise groups that have maybe some have bought area developments and, uh, I see. And, yep. and so that, that those are the ones that are sold in markets that are taken up. And so, uh, you know, look, we're not a brand that's going to go open 80, a hundred restaurants a year. Um, you know, we, we pride ourselves on, on, great openings. You know, we put a lot of time, effort, energy, money into opening the right way. We're over a $5 million average unit volumes. And so we don't want that to go the opposite way. And so that's important to us to open it. So, you know, this year we'll open right around 20, um, you know, next year, maybe 20 to 30. I think 30, not, not to say we can't do more than that, but sure. we feel very confident in opening and opening the right way. And so we're backlogged for a while. Um, and, and look, if we have to open more, uh, it's not something that we're really pushing for, Sure, but, uh, we're also prepared for it if we have to, but a very strategic growth plan, um, based on what you just said, makes perfect sense to me. And it's not overly expanding too quickly and and not doing it for the right reasons with the right people and the right locations, like all these things enter into the equation, of course. Yeah. For us, the most important thing is having the right partners and, and we have to be completely aligned, um, you know, we've said no uh, more than more than usual, um, just because just because you have a big checkbook and you've got all these years of experience in the restaurant business doesn't mean you're going to be a great franchisee of ours. Like it, we we are very passionate. We're very purposeful when we're looking at alignment with a potential franchisee and understanding. Let's do it the walk ons way, which we call it the wild. So you've got a Louisiana-inspired menu. So is that Creole? Is that Cajun? Is that a combination of all those things? Tell us about your menu. Yeah. So, I mean, look, we're from South Louisiana. We're, we're born right here. The original location is in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And so if, if, if you've been to or seen Louisiana cuisine before and been down here, uh, you know, we don't eat to live. You live to eat. And everything is it revolves around what's for dinner, right? And so... 
um, coming up with the concept, and especially at, after a few years and the, the concept kind of really grew and matured with us, we didn't want to be your prototypical sports bar. And nothing against those guys that are. It, it's just from down here, we wanted just something a little bit different. And, and it started with our culture and you know, our walk-on mentality, but also – you know, being from down in Louisiana, how do we inspire maybe a little bit different cuisine? And so we have uh, we don't call up, call ourselves a quote unquote Cajun or Creole restaurant. We just have some Louisiana inspired dishes on there. So 30 percent of the menu is is probably Louisiana inspired when you're talking gumbos to a two phase to fresh seafood and um, po' boys and things like that. But then, you know, the two thirds of our menu or it's just really good. Uh, taking up a notch uh, sports bar food uh, where we got great burgers and cheese fries and things like that. But it's, it's just at another level. Everything's nothing's fryer. Every, everything's hand battered. Everything's prepped in house. Everything is made from scratch. And so uh, our, our food, you know, typically sports bars don't have as high of food volumes as we do. Uh, we're, we're 75, 76 percent food to alcohol. And so we're a restaurant, first and foremost, that happens to have a big bar and 80 TVs and things like that. But over $5 million AUVs, you know, we're over $4 million just food. We, we pride ourselves on that. That is sort of unexpected. I would not have expected you to say that. I would have thought alcohol was higher, even a 50-50 mix. But wow, that's great. So part of that, of course, is your approach in your food and drink. You, you mentioned, and I knew in advance that uh, everything was made from scratch every day. Now, one of the biggest challenges, of course, that I want to talk about is the labor crisis and how you guys are tackling that. But isn't it more challenging for you to have so much made from scratch, prep fresh every day when you know everyone's struggling just to get a staff just to put the food out? Yeah, it is. And look, I'm I'm not going to sit here and say that we haven't been affected by that. It's just what's going on in the world right now. But yeah, it it goes back to your culture, and and you can say what you want, or you can pay what you want. But if people feel like they're cared for, they feel like they're part of a team. If if they feel like they understand the why before just what they're doing, you have a lot less trouble acquiring and retaining great people. And like I said, I, I'm not going to sit here and say we haven't been affected by it, but I don't think we've been affected nearly as much as some other concepts out there because of the culture and, and what we built from within. And I would say that everything obviously trickles down from the top. So you and your partner as co-captains and you know, you're the founder, you're the CEO, but you guys work together and You've created this sort of culture. You've got a mission statement, of course, and you've got to disseminate that so that consistency <laughs> reigns across your series of 57 different operations. And you've got to hire the right people and you got to continue to inspire and motivate them from the top, even though you're removed in a corp, you know, in a headquarters environment and they're spread out in the different locations. Is there a key to doing that as you grow, maintaining that consistency, developing the right people and, you know, recognizing and rewarding them certainly has to, you know, come into play as well. Huge. I mean, and it, it, it's, What's important to you is is what happens. And so if you make it important to you, it, and a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I really need some culture and I'm going to get some culture. Well, that's easier said than done, right? It really has to, to mean something. For us, like I said, I, I didn't I didn't know anything about the restaurant business when I got into it. All I knew is I'd be a great teammate. 
and how to our people and how to take care of each other. And I got your back, you got mine. And really that hasn't changed just because we, we've sold and we've grown. Now, it's a little bit harder. Like you said, it's not as easy when you have one restaurant to six restaurants to make sure that that you can scale it and you, all that information is disseminated down to every person. But it's been done before, right? And it's it's not easy. If if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. But I mean, right, right. the the cream of the crop out there, fillet, right? You know what? Almost three thousand restaurants, and and their culture is better than any single unit restaurant chain out there, uh, just because it's important to us to them. And so that that's how we live. Like I said, it starts with our why. It starts with our purpose of bringing people together. And we have our wow meetings, our walk-ons way meetings that we don't talk P&Ls. We don't talk building costs. We don't, we don't know what the price of meat's going to be next week. We talk people. We talk caring. We talk recognition. We talk, you know, or do we have, are we hiring for the, the vision and not the need? You know, you go back to the, to the labor crisis right now. I mean, a lot of people, they just, oh, I need a, a server. Or I need a grill cook on Tuesdays for my lunch shift. That's the wrong way to think about it. You you have to hire for the vision. We need a great person that really understands our purpose, vision, and mission. And oh, by the way, if they can work on Tuesdays, that's going to be great. But you, you can't let the need get in the way of the vision. And, and so that's Honestly, that's you talk about my role as as the CEO, the founder and the CEO of this company is to clearly define who we are and and what we want to be, but also make sure that everyone is aligned and everyone understands how we got here, our our why, our 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 vision. You know, if we if you we can't go somewhere unless you know where you want to be. And, and our vision is to be more than a restaurant and inspire a lifestyle that celebrates the underdog mindset in all of us. Not to be an underdog, but inspire that underdog mindset. Back to your story. You had that underdog mindset after bank five, six, eight, ten turned you down. That mindset kept you going to get your loan and get you where you wanted to go. This is the same thing with us. And everybody out there has got that underdog mindset. Sometimes you just got to inspire them to live it. And so if you can't tell, I'm passionate about it. You know, like I, I love digging in the menu and I love digging in the building costs and things like that. But if you want to talk people, if you want to talk and in inspiring people to do it the right way and, and, and back to your point with, with our business, sometimes in, in, in the past or still today, a lot of times people look at the restaurant business as, oh, that I'll just get this job until I get my real job. I, we don't think of that at all that way. It, this is an opportunity. Actually, we have a program. It's called our blue chip program that, 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 you know, hourly to management, whoever wants to be in it, but mainly hourly, they, they may just come in and think of it as a job, or maybe it's just some beer drinking money during college. And then all of a sudden you can get in our blue chip program and we can show you a path to management to, to, uh, first of all, maybe a, a, a key teammate to, to a manager, maybe to a general manager. Hope. Oh, I, I hope one day we can we can take a blue chip person for Z, an owner one day. And and that's the ultimate goal. But for us, it's it's, you know, are we positively impacting these kids that are working for us um, and giving them a path? I would not disagree with anything you said. In fact, your team, your staff are the absolute foundation of your business. And without them, you have no brand, you have no future, you have no growth. 
And literally, you know, inspiring and motivating is the key. You know, so many managers, you, I'm sure you would agree that so many managers delegate versus empower. And my, my definition of delegation is anybody can tell somebody what to do and, you know, bark orders, but someone who truly inspires someone tells them the why and the what and the how, and then nurtures and develops that team person and sees potential and shows them where they can grow. And then, you know, lets them fail, you know, gives them the opportunity to make decisions with good judgment, whether they succeed or fail. That's where true growth comes from. And that's where your leaders and your company come from. hundred percent. We have a saying that we say around you, your team doesn't care how much, you know, they care how much you care. Right. And, and we really live by that. And, and it doesn't matter if you're a season, we have a walk-ons university. I just had it this morning. We, all our new management that, that's coming through the system. There's 28 of them this morning what we talk about it, it look you may have 25 years with a company that's great you know a lot but just when you're here just let your team know that you care you talk about this this late they won't leave you over a dollar if they know you care they won't leave ten dollars an hour if they know because guess what they'll probably come have a conversation with you and say man i just got offered ten dollars for an hour you know that's classic right but they'll have they know that you care enough to have the conversation nine times out of ten you can keep that person with you and, and retain them and make sure that they're taken care of. They know that you care about. Totally agree. That's awesome. So aside from people now, which, you know, we've made very clear, I think, uh, you know, the passion comes crystal clear about the people and caring and all the things you said, but you're still a financially driven company, bottom line oriented, of course, and you have a finger on the pulse of the finances of your company. How are you dealing with um, rising costs of goods and labor? Especially with, uh, you know, you're a growing chain, you've got economies of scale, you've got leverage with suppliers that the independent single operator, four or five operator guy doesn't have. You've got advantages and benefits, but that doesn't mean your costs still aren't rising and that your margins aren't going to shrink as a result of that. So how are you combating that? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it, it's it's happening to all of us. Like you said, we do have economies of scale, but we're feeling it. And, and you know, I mean, look, our, our, our goal is to be the best possible franchisor that we can to our franchise partners. And so we sit down with them and, you know, it, 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 you got to look at it. And, not, and the last thing that we're going to do is 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 is. Take take a product and, and not make it as superior as it is now. You know, so we, we don't want to just look at it and say, oh, let's just get a cheaper product. No, that's not who we are because we pride ourselves on great products. But, you know, you, you got to look at price increases and it's not like just across the board. Uh, we've we've been running models here at our office just to look at it and see all right, what does it look like in a year? What does it look like in two years? What is, you know, can we take different categories? Um you know, certain things that they're looking at the runway down the road, whether it be beef or chicken or fish or something like that. We're just we're trying to dissect everything that we possibly can. The last thing, like I said, that we want to do and we won't do is 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 take a product that does so well for us and done so well for us for almost 20 years and just say, let's go a cheaper route. That that's the kiss of death. That 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 is the way we're not going to go it here. But if it if it if it takes into, you know, maybe taking a little price increase, um, you know, it's just, it's the way the world is right now, unfortunately. So my best advice to restaurants is on an annual basis, they should reevaluate their menu. Of course, the menu has to be designed for maximum profit, but when costs are rising, you have to occasionally raise prices on the menu. But now is such a controversial, dangerous time to raise prices because consumers are super, you know, 
receptive to those price increases. They're they're looking at it negatively, especially in light of so many restaurants out there can't deliver the service that customers have come or guests, I should say. I love using the word guests have come to expect just based on this labor crisis. Are you guys raising prices at all? I mean, have you put a sort of a hold on that right now? Do you you know, is that something that um, your independent, fr- not independent, but your franchisees have control over, or is it a company-wide stance on this is how we operate? How, do, how does yeah, that we, work? Yeah, we we give our franchisees a little flexibility, you know, mm-hmm. depending on markets, uh, you know, because there's some rural markets that that you can have a little bit lesser price than maybe a big metro area. And so, sure, makes yeah, sense. We, yep. we do give a little leeway on that, um, but we work together and and. We're, of course, you're always, you, you never want to have to raise prices, right? But you, you got to make sure if you're going to do it, uh, you better be good, right? You, you can't just, uh, okay, well, our service is worse and we're raising prices. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, there's got to be a balance there. And so, mm-hmm. you you know, as well, I'll do it. You know, if if you're in this business and and people understand, for the most part, they understand, but you, you, you better take care of. You, you, you have to make sure that the service is there because if you do both, that's when you get into trouble. Great. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about leadership and management development. First, I'd like to ask you, um, your leadership style is coming across crystal clear. How would you describe yourself as a leader of people and how are you developing those new franchise operators to then find similar people with a similar mindset? And then how are those people sort of you know, incentivized to perform. That's a multi-part question, and I'll repeat it if you need me to. No, I, look, I'm I'm not your prototypical CEO. Uh, I'm not the guy that's uh, you know every Monday morning I got have my numbers in front of me. And and once again, back to your point, I, I understand the, the financial state of our business, but you know, for me, it's 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 attracting the right people first, um, making sure that, that we're out there because guess what? We're not great people have jobs, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, if you just put the now hiring sign or putting up a button on your website or something like that, I mean, you, you got to get out there and, and you got to get in front of people and let people know what you stand for. Um, I think that's the most important thing. If you just, you have to tell them why. And, and I'll repeat this over and over today, but people have to understand why we do what we do. If you just tell them what you do, hey, we're a sports bar, we serve burgers, we serve beer. Oh yeah, you're the next guy on town, right? You just do like everybody else does. But when you when you understand our why, and that's why I'm so passionate about it is because when they do understand the why, then they say, man, I want to be associated with that. Man, I want to tell my buddy that works down the street about that. And then it, it's it's a snowball effect, right? It, it kind of it gets bigger and bigger. And then the teams, they start fighting for each other. They start fighting for the brand. They're out there attracting great people. And so, you know, it, it's like I said, I, I go back to my management style. Is it is it where I'm, I'm just this boardroom director? And, and, and no, it, it's it's all about the people. It's all about the human capital. It's all about that makes sure that the information just doesn't sit up here at this level. That it, it can be disseminated all the way throughout the company. What was the second part of your question again? Yeah, I was curious about recognition and rewards and how you develop leaders outside of your HQ. You know, what are what are the recognition, the rewards? What are the incentives? It's like what drives the bus on in terms of yes, you're hiring the right people. Yes, they're self-motivated people. 
And yes, they work for a paycheck. Praise goes a long way, but there's got to be something extra that really moves them to go above and beyond to really deliver the performance you're looking for. You just hit it on the head. It, it's recognition. It, as simple as that is. And guess what? It costs you zero dollars. Correct. Uh, it, it just costs you it, it a little time. And and But I go back to if it's important to you, you'll make it happen. A lot of people say, well, I don't have time to do that. Man, I got to do these logs. I got to do all this stuff. Well, then it's not important to you because you, you, honestly, in, in our business, in our company, you don't have time not to do it because it's so important to us. And so you have wow cards and it's not like, wow, oh, wow. It's uh, once again, our walk-ons way. And so, oh, we, it. yeah, yeah it's, it's, we call them our wow cards because you have to display um, either one of our core values or our guiding principles. And it, it's, it's not like, oh, you have to give a wow card. Whenever you feel fit to give a wow card and we like to do it, um, with, with the whole group, whether it be in the restaurant or in one of our corporate team members uh, office uh, meetings or uh, at one of our wow meetings or one of our franchise meetings, whatever it may be, we like to give these up because look, everyone loves a little pat on the back every now and then. Right. Yes, and, and, and for, and, and for the peers also to see it because sometimes they may sit there and go, man, wish, wish I can get one of those one day. You know, it's, it's not like little league ball nowadays where everybody gets a ribbon. It, not everyone doesn't, but yeah, you know, it, it may be something that's like, wow, that, that guy just got one of that gal just got one of those. I want one of those too. That everybody likes a little pat on the back right now. So it's amazing how far that can go. Just a little bit of recognition. Excellent. Thanks for sharing. Let's talk a little bit about marketing strategy. Now you've got a loyalty program and it's also connected to a mobile app, I understand. Can you tell us a little bit about how that works and what the results have been? Yeah. So, uh, you know, our marketing team has been working hard really on, on launching this app and this loyalty program here over the last, uh, especially since COVID happened, you know, that, that kind of accelerated it, uh, because everything had to kind of go digital. And, and so, uh, it's not uh, it's not 100 um, percent buttoned up, uh, quote unquote, yet. But uh, we're working on it. You know, the goal is just to once again, if, if we can have our message out there for our for, for our guests, because we call them guests as well. We don't like to call them customers. Thank you. That's very transactional. Hallelujah. Yes. It's, it's guests to us and it's teammates. It's not employees. We, we, we have a specific vocabulary here. We we talk teammates and we talk guests. But um you know, the, the, the loyalty, I mean, look, it's the way the world is going right now. Right. And, and especially for us, what we're seeing a significant increase is our takeout sales. Um, it, just because everything's digital now, everything's going online. And if we can get these recurring customers, guests um, coming back and, and making sure that they understand that they can get rewarded for, you know, as many times as they would come. But I mean, look, we've seen an increase. Of course, COVID had a lot to do with it. But um, prior to the pandemic, um, we were around 9% system average on takeout sales. Um, and, and like I said, COVID had something to do with. But right now, in it, with the, our app and our loyalty program, we're sitting around 14%. So, so we've jumped four or five percent since since we've launched all this, and so we're a significant increase, especially to that as, that part of the business. Excellent. There's a good foundation there that's continuing to move forward. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. We're we're going to keep working on, but it, it, look, it's 
it, 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 it's a moving, it's a moving target, right? Every, every technology changes every day. So uh, everything we learned in school about marketing, <laughs> you can throw that out of the window. Let's, let's, let's figure out something else on the social media front, right? That's awesome. Let's talk about your franchise model. What makes it different? <laughs> I read something about a communal approach. What exactly does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so look, we don't, we haven't done a lot of traditional franchise advertising. Um, most of our, most of our, our growth has been very organic guests that would come in, um, to our restaurants and maybe have been in the restaurant business for, maybe they live in a specific market to say, man, one of these would be great. Um, you know, and, and a lot of our franchise partners have come on and bought one territory, maybe one location. Mm-hmm. And then they've expanded into area developers. And so we've seen lots of success with that. We, like I said, we've said no a lot more than than the normal franchise or just because it has to be the right partner that's aligned with us. But, you know, we're not in a hurry. We're not in a race. It, it's, and we're not sitting here saying, man, we got to get to 100 units, 200 units, or 500 units. And we got to get to this sales volume. We're, we're going to do it the right way. Uh, you know, I, I, I I'm hoping I'm not going anywhere very soon. Uh, our, our company in, in, in general is pretty young. You know, I mean, even though we got 18 years under us from the original location, we really just kind of started the growth about five or six years ago. And so um, it, it's just it's fun. It goes back to our purpose. People, you know, a lot of you know, you know, some of my best friends now and some of our closest uh, people hang out more more than often is is our franchise partner that that has been brought together for walk on brand. So it's been really cool to share this with these guys. Awesome. We've covered a lot of ground today, Brandon, but let me ask you lastly, I mean this pandemic has turned the industry upside down. I mean the statistics say over a hundred thousand plus restaurants have closed. Those that are still standing are beaten up pretty badly. And now we continue to face these challenges with rising costs and labor crises and all this other stuff. And if people are still standing, what would your best advice be to maybe independent operators, even GMs that are running the show and just dealing with all this stuff as we move out of the pandemic into the future, which obviously by all indicators is uh, appearing extremely bright? Yeah, look, it's it's been tough, man. You know, and, and you know, we're fortunate enough to have a larger brand, and but I get it that the, the independence and if there's only any advice I would give, it's, it's stick to your roots. You know, stick to what got you here, because a lot of times people change um, and, and sometimes it's out of necessity. I get that. But, you know, good companies and good restaurants, they, they can do the right things and they can do really good things when things are going good. Right. I think the true testament to a great company or a great brand is what do you do when you hit with a little adversity? And that's something that we prided ourselves on during throughout the pandemic. You know, like, yeah, it's it was tough in the beginning. Like I did a lot of soul searching. I was listening to a lot of podcasts and, you know, I didn't have a mentor or a college professor or a book that I, I read that said, hey, when this happened in the 80s, this is what the restaurant business did. No, we just kind of had to figure it out. But, you know, a couple of mentors of mine and and guys that I really did, it's like you got to stay positive and you got to stick to what you've been doing. And so what we did is the first thing that we thought to do is give back. You know, even though we suspended royalties to all of our franchisees, uh, marketing and our regular royalties. And, but we started first thing our team came together and said, look, let's start a furloughed kitchen. Let's start feeding furloughed hospitality workers. Last year, 
during the pandemic, we fed over 50,000 hospitality workers, not just walk-ons teammates. This is anyone that was furloughed in the hospitality business. And did we do it for marketing? No, we did it because that's what we do. But guess what? When we're coming out of it, we're getting back to some sort of normality. People remember that. Yes. And then it becomes, you know, here we are in 2021, we're, we're up on 2019 sales because of what we did when we got hit with a little bit of adversity. And so I know it's a lot easier said than done because people are like, oh, Brandon, you got 56 restaurants, you got all these resources and things like that. But it still goes back to what made us us and, and what are we true to? And so I'm a firm believer in staying positive. You know, positive people change the world. And, and, and we tried to stay as positive as we possibly could during the pandemic, even though we didn't know what was going on. You know, I listened to actually a podcast when it first started with a um, uh, retired Navy SEAL. And, and he talked about Hell Week and how they go through Hell Week. And he goes, if you go into Hell Week on Monday and think about, OK, I got to get to Saturday. He said, you're done. He said, when I wake up on Monday, I start a Hell Week. He goes, I got to get to breakfast. When he's eating breakfast, he goes, okay, can I make it to lunch? And that's really kind of how we've had to think for the last 16 or 18 months during this process. And when I heard that, and, and you know, things happen for a reason, right? But I heard it right when the pandemic wow. started. I came yeah. in with our team yeah. and I was like, you know what, guys? We can't worry about what we're going to look like in six months. We can't look like we're going to look like in 2021. Let's get to Wednesday. You know, Wednesday, we'll reevaluate, we'll figure out what's going on because God knows what's going to happen in the world. And then when we get to the other Wednesday, hey, guys, let's get to the weekend and we'll talk Friday before we get into a busy weekend or hopefully a busy weekend. That's really how we live the world. And so we just kind of took it one day at a time. But I think it was sick and tired roots and staying positive 100 percent because your team feels it. Wow, that was a very inspiring story you just told, and that puts everything in perspective, and we can all relate to that. I mean, that's beautiful. That was excellent. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, no problem, man. Well, if anyone's interested in the franchise opportunity and the business in general, the URL is walk-ons.com. Brandon, it's been my pleasure having you as a guest on the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, and we'll see everyone in the next episode. Thanks so much to our audience for tuning in, and thanks to Brandon for being our great guest on this episode. When you have a sports bar, or bistro in this case, or even if you don't have a sports bar, if you have a bar that serves draft beer, you need a mug club. Now, a mug club has so many benefits for your business. Think about if your regular customers come in, say, twice a month, or you know, maybe even if they come in three times a month, you'd be happy with that. But what if your regulars came in two, three, four times a week and spent money in your place? Wow, that would be terrific, wouldn't it? Well, the way to do that is by creating a mug club. Now, a mug club not only brings customers in more often, but you can charge a membership fee and it creates this exclusivity where you have value-added benefits that you offer these members, they tell all their friends, and the next thing you know, your mug club grows like coral and then your mug club members become brand ambassadors for your business, just telling everyone they know that your place is the fun place, the place to go. So once again, if you serve draft beer and this even works in a coffee shop, think about starting a mug club. We actually have a turnkey system that teaches you everything you need to know to not only 
only start that club to sign up members, to charge membership fees, to offer value added, what you need to do to give VIP service to these members. And best of all, it shouldn't cost you anything because mug clubs can be fully sponsored by one of your suppliers in exchange for the promotional value. So check it out at restaurantrockstars.com, how to start a mug club. Thanks so much to our sponsors this week, Seven Shifts, the all-in-one labor management platform, and Cisco. And I wanted to tell you, we have a new feature at Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. So if you look at the show notes to this episode, about halfway down, you'll see a Ask Us Anything button. So if you hit the button, you can record a question, and then I'll respond right back to you. And chances are, I might even talk about it on the air, like this question. This week, Nils asked about if owner compensation is included in labor costs. And my answer, of course, is yes, it is. If it is on the payroll or if there are distributions or payments made to any owners, it is, in fact, included in true labor costs. You need to calculate everything for your food costs and your labor costs. Anything that goes against sales in terms of an expense is considered a true cost. So thanks, Nils, for this week's question. And thanks for tuning in, audience. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.